0: There we go, and, uh, and and like usual, I'd like to open up just by praying for our time together, all right? So let me do that. Dear God, I pray that you would speak through me tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would give me uh, clarity of thought, and I pray for my friends out here that you would open their hearts as, as we look at your Word that Your Spirit would move and work in them, that we would, leave, uh, we would leave differently because of what Your Word is doing, because of what Your Spirit is doing in us. I ask for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. One of the things I love about Jesus is that He's up front with you. That Jesus never, never tries to be elusive or misleading about the cost of following him he's never going to try to soft sell you discipleship what it means to be is he's never going to kind of show you all the really neat stuff and then sneak in the difficult parts of it later when you're kind of already signed on he's he's not like um you're seeing those pharmaceutical commercials those like commercials for different medications for like insomnia or or, or uh severe allergies or eczema or something like that and and there we go. I didn't know that. <laughs> Woo! Severe allergies. Amen. Um, so I, all these commercials, if you've seen one, you've seen them all. They, they all basically look the same. It's, it's somebody with a really gentle, pleasant voice talking about how hard life can be when you live with seasonal allergies. But now life can be different thanks to, and it'll give you some weird named drug, Alexacor, or something like that. Ask your doctor if Alexacor is right for you, okay? And, and it'll... it'll It'll show, it's always got this pleasant voice speaking while someone is, it shows these serene scenes. Somebody getting a really good night's sleep or, or somebody frolicking through a field in slow motion with their family, right? And there's always like puppies and stuff like that and everything is so great and this drug is going to change your life and it's going to give you your life back and and all you got to do is ask your doctor if it's right for you, but we know it's going to be right for you. It's right for everybody, right? And and they're talking about it and it looks so awesome. And then if you listen long enough though, they always get to that one part. The one part at the end where they start they start the voice, the pleasant voice gets just a little bit quieter. And starts talking just a little bit faster, hoping maybe you won't hear it all. As they start to say, possible side effects may include, right? You know that part, right? And it always it always starts off easy. It always starts off with like uh, dry mouth. You're like, okay, yeah, I can put up with dry mouth, right? Uh, It sounds weird, but I guess I could do that. Fatigue, headaches, and you're kind of like, that's a bummer. But then somewhere at the point, like in that list, it starts to take a hard turn, right? (laughs) And it's it's like, uh, you know, skin rash and diarrhea. And then like stuff I didn't even know was real. Uh, Temporary paralysis, right? Uh, Spontaneous combustion of your internal organs or something. And by the time it's at the end, you're like, who? How are they allowed to sell this? Like, how are they allowed to even put this on the market? Ask your doctor if a is right for you. No, it's not right for anybody. Nobody should have their organs spontaneously combust. Um, Jesus is not like that. Jesus doesn't bring you really the easy stuff up front and then later when you sign on, goes, by the way, this is going to be kind of tough now. No, He is from the beginning up front about what it looks like to follow Him. He, he says these things like Luke 9, 23. If anyone would be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. That is, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, it's going to mean, Jesus says, that side of you, that part of you that wants to live for yourself, that always wants to look out for number one, that, that, that part of you is going to have to die. That part of you is going to have to go if you want to be my disciple. Or he'll say several chapters later in Luke 14, anyone who wants to follow me is going to need to place me above everything else in their life. All their highest devotions and their love. You're going to have to want to love me. You're going to have to have a greater devotion to me than you have to your friends, to your family, to your very own life. And hear me, Jesus doesn't say those things because he's an egomaniac. He doesn't say those things because he's really needy and he just wants you to love him. Just love me more than everybody else, please. He says those things because He knows that it's the only way it's going to work. That half-hearted attempts are never going to work in this situation. And He wants to be real with you before you jump into this. Here's the cool thing about Jesus. He's also very upfront and honest about this truth. And that is that no matter what the cost may be, no matter how hard it is, it's totally worth it. It's worth whatever cost, whatever it might cost you to follow Him, it's worth it. He says in John 10.10, I have come that you would have life and have it to the full. The life you were made for, the life you were designed for, that's found in me. The thing you've been looking for your whole life is found right here. He says in, a math, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Come to me, all of you who are weary and weighed down and burdened, and find peace. And he says, find peace. Rest for your souls. That is, are you tired of running around from thing to thing trying to find something that's going to satisfy you? Are you tired of trying to scramble and just try to be good enough? Try to live a good enough life. Try to prove to yourself that you're worth it? Are you tired of all those games? Then come to me, and you will find rest for your souls. He's up front with you about the cost, and he's also upfront with you about the blessing, about the joy of it. One of the stories that I think actually illustrates both of these things really well, where he combines both of them together in in kind of one moment, comes in Mark chapter 10. This is a fairly famous story, you may know it. It's it's a story where one day Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and this young man, the, the text describes him as a rich young man, comes up to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, you, you know the scriptures. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Honor your father and mother. Don't lie. And, and the man starts to smile and he goes, good news, I, I've done all of that since I was a kid. I've kept it all. Check, check, and check. And then Jesus looks at him and, and there's this really interesting phrase in there that I've always wondered about. It's always caught me whenever I read it. It said, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And said to him, well, there's this, actually one other thing for you. He says, for you to be able to inherit eternal life, you're going to need to sell everything you have. Give the money to the poor and come follow me. Again, Jesus isn't trying to be mean. He he loves him. He loves him enough to know and to see that this man's riches, that this man's stuff is going to get in the way is going to keep him from living the life that God calls him to. And so he loves him enough to tell him the truth, that it's going to be hard. And, and the man, the text says, hangs his head and walks away sad because he was not willing to give that up. The disciples are sitting there and their mouths are just kind of open. This is a crazy interaction they just saw. And they barely know what to make of it. And Jesus looks at them and he says, Guys, it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. The cost is big and and their money and their stuff, if they're not careful, is going to keep them from seeing the truth. It's going to keep them from doing the right things. Peter's sitting there for a second and he goes, just so you know, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. We left it all. And then Jesus, I I think, smiles and says these words to him. If you want to go there, you can. It's Mark 10, verse 29, I believe, is where we are. Mark 10, verse 29 and 30. Jesus says this. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more, now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. So Jesus says, listen, I'm telling you the truth. It's going to cost you. You will face difficulty, you may even face persecutions but when you lose relationships because you follow me when you lose possessions because you follow me, you will not fail to get back a hundred times, not just in the life to come but in this life which is a strange promise what does Jesus mean by that? does he mean like if I give up my house to follow him, he's literally going to give me a hundred houses literally going to give me a hundred brothers brothers a hundred moms? Do I even want a hundred moms? 100? What does that mean? The promise that Jesus is giving here is one that comes through His church. What he's saying is when you lose those who are even closest to you, when you lose possessions, when you lose those things, it's okay because you're going to have a whole family. You're going to have hundreds of brothers and sisters through my church. You're going to have hundreds of moms and dads. You're going to have hundreds of homes because the homes of my people become your home. The stuff of my people becomes yours. It's given to you. This is one of the great blessings, one of the greatest benefits of following Jesus is getting to be a part of His people, of His church. When you come to Jesus, you don't just get Jesus, you get His family as well. You get His people. And this is one of the great benefits, one of the great beauties of it. And so I want to talk to you just a little bit about that tonight. Here is my message to you in one sentence. My encouragement to you in one sentence is this, that you would involve yourself in the church so the church can invest in you so that you can serve others. I'm going to say that again. Involve yourself in the church, so the church can invest in you, so that you can serve others. Now that statement I just gave you, sits in pretty strong contrast to the way a lot of people view religion, or faith, or spirituality. The way a lot of people view spirituality is this, that um, religion or my spirituality is my like personal, private beliefs and practices that I figure out on my own for my own betterment. That's kind of the idea. That, that is that it's something that's kind of between me and God, and I don't need anyone or any group or any organization to tell me how to practice this. I, I kind of practice this, how I see fit in the way that fits me, and that, that's important because it gives me Uh, self-fulfillment, or it gives me peace of mind, or it helps me be a better person. That's the way a lot of people view religion, view spirituality. It's something that is kind of turns in towards themselves. It's something that's very individual and personal. But this runs counter to who you were meant to be. This runs counter to the way that you were designed. We've talked about this uh, over the last couple of weeks a little bit, that the God of the Bible is a self-giving God. That He is a God that is always outward moving. He is always moving out towards us in love and in mercy and in compassion. He is open towards us. And, and the ultimate expression of this We see it in the Bible. Kind of the pinnacle of all the Bible is when God gives His own Son, Jesus, and the ultimate act of self-giving love. Jesus lays down His life so that you and I can be brought into relationship with God. So that we can know the God that we were made for. So that we can be in fellowship with Him. Scott said it last week. You were made for connection. And Jesus, through His sacrifice on the cross, makes that possible. Now, pause real quick, okay? If maybe you're sitting here tonight, and this is somewhat brand new information, and you've never heard anything like that before, that God loves you so much that that is His position towards you. Actually, this is how the Bible says it. God is love, 1 John, I believe, 4. And then 1 John 4 says this, that this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down His life for us. If that's if that's brand new for you, then, then I give you permission to like mentally check out from everything else I'm about to say. And you can, if you want to, you can just spend the rest of the night just kind of thinking about that and the implications of that and how that would even work. And then, and then ask somebody here. Ask me or ask someone after a, a little bit about that. We would love to talk with you about it. The, the person sitting next to you, um, would love to chat with you a little bit about that. Um, but, but for the rest of you, hang with me. John goes on to say in 1 John 4, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then he says this, and we ought to do the same for our brothers and sisters. That is, you were made to be like God. You were made to to flow outward in self-giving love towards people. You were made for relationship, not just with God, but with human beings. And so a religion that is inward inward-focused, that is just something I practice myself, and it's my own personal relationship with God, and it doesn't really matter what other people want to do, that doesn't work. That runs counter to what you were made to be, to who you, who you were designed to be. It's not meant to simply be about me and so I want to give you that encouragement tonight, I'm going to break it down into the three different sections, and we're going to talk a little bit about each of those. So again, the encouragement is this. Involve yourself in the church so the church can invest in you so you can serve others. All right, so let's talk about the first one. Involve yourself in the church. This is our second thing up here, and I know it's, it's getting dark and you can't see these very well, but this right here says commitment to community. Um, students, College age people, young people who do well in their faith during this time are those who are committed to biblical community that make life in the body of Christ a priority. Not just kind of an add-on. I don't just, you know, go to church sometimes because that's a good thing or go to a Bible study, but but it is a priority in their life to be involved in the body of Christ. Um, That phrase, body of Christ, that's just another way of saying the church that we are Christ's body. He is the head and we are the body that comes together. Uh, Paul in Romans 12 uses this phrase to describe our relationship not just to God but to one another. And he says this in Romans 12 verses 4 through 5. That he says, now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function. So he says, just like you've got a body and that body has all these different parts, all these different members. And they don't all act the same but they all have a purpose. He says, so in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So he says, when you sign up for Jesus, you sign up for one another. You sign up to be members of this body and to be members of one another. This is a huge way of looking at the Christian life to see that it is something that we all belong together as we belong to Jesus. Now, I always like to share this story. This is one of my favorite ways to kind of illustrate this. If you've been around very long, you've heard me share this story. And if you've been around extra long, you've heard me say it more than once. But that's okay. i am gonna share it anyway. Back at my home church uh, in Muskogee, Oklahoma. Can I get a shout out from the Muskogee people over there? There we go. Thank you. A whisper from a whisper out. I appreciate it, guys. Um, from uh, back in Muskogee, Oklahoma, Boulevard Christian Church. All right, that's where I went to growing up. Um, when I was younger, there's this kind of bigger building that they're in now. But when I was younger, the, chil- the building that I grew up in only had one main entrance on Sundays. And so when you came there, there's only one real door for you to go through. And every Sunday when you got there, doesn't matter how early you got there, there was always one guy who was already there and at the front door. His name was Larry. And Larry was a super nice guy. And and I don't know how it happened. It was before I was born. Somehow Larry became the unofficial official greeter of Boulevard. So when you came to church on Sunday morning, Larry was always there waiting for you with a handshake and a smile. He was always super friendly. A great first impression for people. So it was great having Larry there except for this one thing. Whenever Larry would reach out to shake your hand, you would go to shake his hand, there would be this weird sensation that you would experience when shaking his hand, but you couldn't quite figure out what it was at first. And you would walk away going, something about that did not feel quite right, and I'm not sure what it was. The reason why is because Larry was missing uh, this finger right here. Actually, he was missing this, the, the ring finger all the way down to this bottom knuckle, and then the middle finger up to this top knuckle here missing those fingers there, and so whenever you would shake his hand, instead of feeling like all four fingers kind of wrapped around your hand, you would just feel like the the pointer finger in the pinky, and then the other ones would kind of hit you in the palm, and it kind of was a creepy feeling, right? Um, uh, So it was just kind of this, ah, what was that, you know what I mean? But uh, the story is, and I, I, you know, like I said, this is before I was born, the story as it has been passed down to me is one day Larry was working with his sons out in the yard, and they were working with one of those like powered uh, wood splitters, log splitters, and at some point during the thing, Larry reaches down uh, to adjust one of the logs, and his son John is not watching, and I don't know what you do, presses a trigger. I don't know what he does, but he releases the log splitter, and the log gets split, and so does Larry's finger. And, and so there it is. They're sitting there out there amongst the wood, and there's, they look down, and Larry's finger is just sitting there on the lawn, which would just be kind of a surreal experience. But, but here's the thing. You don't have to be an anatomy major to know that that's not a good thing, (laughs) right? Like you don't have to be pre med to go. I don't think it's supposed to go there. That that's not help. That that finger is not going to be able to function when it is disconnected from the rest of Larry's body. That it's not going to be able to do what it's supposed to do, and it's not going to be healthy for it. It's not natural. It's it's probably not going to last very long in that condition. It's not how it's supposed to be, but here's the thing, there are a lot of people who choose to live out their faith like that. There are a lot of Christians who choose to live out their, their spiritual life like that finger sitting on the lawn. I can do this on my own. I don't need, I don't need, you know, the church has burned me. People have treated me bad. So I love Jesus. I just don't want anything to do with the church. And dude, I I get that, man. If that's you, and if the church has hurt you, dude, I hate that. That's the last thing. The church is the family of God. That's the last thing it's supposed to be doing. And so if that's been you, if you've been wrong, my heart breaks for you and I hate that, but I want you to know that that's not the design God has for you. That it's not going to work. Just like a finger laying on the ground, so so it is when we divorce ourselves from the body of Christ. We weren't meant for that. We're supposed to be living together with God the body of Christ, and so don't be that guy, don't be that girl who tries to live their Christian life without the church. You need the body to help you grow strong. Now let me tell you one of the ways that the body helps you grow strong, and that leads us to this third thing, but it is the second statement on our thing. I said that you want, uh, you should um, involve yourself in the church, and here's the second part of the statement, so that the church can invest in you so the church can invest in you. Before we, before we go any further, though, 30-second discussion time. Okay, 30-second discussion time. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to one of the persons on your right or on your left. I want you to answer this question. What person has had the biggest positive influence on your life? Specifically kind of in the realm of the faith, of, of faith, but, but if, if you're not involved in faith or spirituality, just however you want to answer that, what person has had the biggest positive influence on your life? All right, 20 seconds, go. All right, okay, stop. Okay, show of hands here, show of hands. How many of you, the name that you mentioned was someone who is older than you? Okay, vast majority, vast majority. Now, this may not be the same for some of you who are upperclassmen, this next question. It will probably fit more with freshmen, but, but that's okay, we can all answer. How many of you, you moved further away from that person when you moved to college? Okay. Okay. Still, still the majority, even though some of you may have found that person, person here while you're in college, the majority of you. Here's kind of the crazy thing. Um, in the next two to six years of your life, you are, not all of you, but many of you are going to make some of the biggest decisions of your life. Not to add any extra anxiety or pressure on you in this moment, okay? <laughs> but it all comes down to this, guys. Just kidding. Okay. In the next few years, you're going to make, some of you are going to decide, you're going to decide things like your career, what you're going to do. And that might change, but but you're going to at least start off on that. A number of you are going to decide who you're going to marry. You might decide where you're going to live or or whether or not you're going to start having a family, those kinds of things. Some of the biggest decisions, and, and even if you're not making those big decisions, here's the truth about this age and stage of life, is that you are going to, in the next two to six years, make a million small decisions that are going to set a trajectory for your life. A million small decisions and habits and attitudes that are going to begin to determine what kind of person you're going to be. The kind of adult, the kind of grown-up that you're going to end up looking like. And here's the crazy thing. You're going to make those decisions, most of you, while you are furthest away from the people who have had the biggest positive influence on your life. The people who have been there to steer you the right direction, the people who have been there to help you grow up, to help you know Jesus, to help you know His Word, when you move away from them, that's when you start making all these decisions. Is that not crazy? Something about our system seems almost wrong. There are a lot of ways when I say I want the church to invest in you. There are a lot of ways that the church invests in you through preaching and teaching and small groups and all these different things that can happen. But the one I want to focus on tonight is this connection to older believers. The church is a place where you can be connected to older believers. This is our third value. That we have found that students who do well while they are in this stage of life, who grow in their faith, are students that are not just in relationships with people their own age, but that they are connected to older, wiser, more mature believers. 2 Timothy 2.1, Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy, about how to lead a church. And Paul says this, the things that I taught to you, Timothy, I want you to now entrust to reliable men who can then go and teach that to others. So in those two little verses there, he gives four generations. Paul invested in Timothy. Timothy, you invest in those below you, and they will invest in those behind them. Titus, chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Paul says um, that the older women in the church are to teach the younger women and to encourage them to be faithful where they are in their life. It is the older women's job to invest in the younger women. This has been the pattern. This isn't a brand new thing I'm teaching you. This has been the pattern of the church from the beginning, from the time that Jesus took 12 disciples to himself and said, follow me, and they followed him around and they learned from him. It has always been the pattern that those who are further along in their faith invest in those who are further behind in their faith, who are younger. And yet for some reason we often dream drop all of this when you get to college which seems crazy this is why here at the table we try to do some things differently every one of our table groups are adult hosted they meet in the home of an adult And we do that not because we need a house for you to go meet in. You could do that in your dorms. You could do that in your apartments. We do that because we want to have an adult that is there in your group and involved in your life, someone you can know and that you can seek advice and wisdom from and get to grow being around. And this is why we do things like Adopt-A-Home, which is where we pair students up with families at our church in Sunnybrook to, to get to know them and to be in their homes and all of those things. All of these things matter. This is why... As much as I want you to be here, as much as we love you being here, we do not want you to settle for just finding a really good campus ministry and letting that be your church. This is not your church. This is a great place for you to come and find fellowship and community, but the church ought to be a local church, okay, that is governed, that has leadership in it, that has people who can preach and teach the word well, but that also has a multi generational population that has older believers in it. Here's the reason why we do all this, okay? Because you are really smart. You are really wise. You've got your head on your shoulders, but your friends, let's face it, they're idiots, right? Okay? You, you guys are so bright, but the guy sitting next to you, that guy's a moron, all right? I'm just kidding. Okay, just <laughs> mostly kidding. Um, here's the thing. Listen, the truth is, okay, that I am 37 and, and I am an idiot, all right? I am 37 and I am still figuring things out and still don't know how to do some things that I ought to be able to do. I just sold my house and I'm buying a new one, right? I still don't know what escrow is, all right? I'm paying it all the time. I'm paying, I don't, I don't know what it is. I think I'm getting a check back from them and then I gotta pay them some more. Who knows? Okay? There are things that I don't have figured out. Not just when it comes to like financial things, but like when it comes to my spiritual life, when it comes to being a husband, when it comes to being a father. And I need more than other 37 year old idiots to help me out. I need, how old are you, Scott? Old enough. Old enough. <laughs> I need Scott aged idiots to hang out with. And to learn from, honestly, I, I, I love to be able to have Scott to ask him. He's got kids who are further along than mine, to ask him parenting questions, to ask him how he did specific things. I need those kinds of people in my life, and so do you. So connect with older believers. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just a bit. Last thing is this. So involve yourself in the church so the church can invest in you. Number three, so you can serve others. Here's another story I like to tell. You may have heard it. My freshman year, I arrive at a small little school in Joplin, Missouri called Ozark Christian College. Uh, It's a ministry school there. That's right. That's where uh, Alec is gone. That's where Scott has gone. It's uh, this little ministry school there. And I'm there unloading all my stuff, and I'm packing it. We're carrying it into the dorms, and my aunt is there helping me. And uh, my aunt's there because her her, her daughter, my cousin, is also at, at Ozark at that time. So she's helping me unload my stuff. And somewhere along the lines, we start talking a little bit. And she says these words to me. She says, listen, Drew, while you're at Ozark, you're going to have a chance to hear a lot of really neat things. You're going to have a chance to learn so much stuff. Every day you're going to go to class and you're going to learn new things about God's Word. And you're going to go to chapel and you're going to hear preaching and you're going to get to sing all these songs. There's going to be so much great stuff that you're going to get to hear. And she says, it's very important for you then to find an outlet for all the things that you're learning, to find a way to put those things into practice, to find a way to begin serving. Otherwise, and this is her term, not mine, otherwise you'll get spiritually constipated. Okay, so if you only hear one thing to actually do this, turn to the person to your right or left and just say this, don't be spiritually constipated. Okay, there we go. Listen, that's a silly way to say it, But what my aunt was getting at is real and it's profound. And that is that there is a kind of spirituality. There is a kind of religion. There is a kind of faith that looks really good and feels really good in the moment. Because you're filling yourself up constantly and you're going to Bible study, and small group, and church, and you're learning all these new things about the Bible, and you're learning all these new things about God, and you feel like you're really growing, and you might be. But over the long haul, this kind of faith can be very unhealthy if all you ever do is show up and say, feed me. If all you ever do is show up and say, what do you got for me? And you become a consumer rather than someone who gives and begins to work. And that becomes extra easy in a college town like this where the whole city is built to cater to you, including the churches. There is literally every night of the week in Stillwater, you could find a different college-age Bible study or small group or worship night or whatever you want to call it to go to, which is awesome. But if that's all you ever do and you don't find an outlet, you don't find a means to begin serving, then what you do is you become inward-focused in your spirituality. You turn in on yourself, which is, as we've been saying, is the opposite of what you were made to do. You were made in the image of God. You were made to move out in love towards other people. And yes, it's so great for you to learn. You ought to learn. And yes, it's so great for you to gain new knowledge and wisdom and for you to be poured into by the church. But you're to be poured into by the church so that you can serve the world so that you can serve others. And this is what we want. We call this actually a ministry mindset. Students that will make, uh, they will use their gifts and their abilities for Christ's mission, and not just to make themselves feel better. The mission of Christ is this, to make more disciples who will love and follow Him and worship Him with your life. So the idea is that we want to be reaching out to those around us. We want to be involved in helping the church do these things. That mission is something that is for all of us. Do not, when you are so blessed to be able to grow up and to know more and more if this is you, don't hog that all for yourself. There are 18,000 people on that campus over there that do not know Jesus. And you and I are called to not just keep this to ourselves but to bring that to them to help other people know the peace that is found in Jesus, to help other people know the love and the grace that is freely given to us through Jesus Christ to bring other people into the family that is the church. You are called to, do, to be a part of that. You are also called to serve churches or ministries as they are doing that work. So to serve in your local church as they are seeking to make disciples of the people in their building and to reach out beyond them in their building, that's something that you are made to do. So, Here's what I want to give you in the final three, four minutes. I want to give you three action steps, three simple, practical action steps that you can do to try and live each one of these things out this week even. The first one is this. Find one local church here in Stillwater and invest yourself in it. Okay? It's okay, freshmen. It's okay for the next, for the first four to six weeks for you to jump around and kind of check out different churches and see, see where you want to land. That's totally okay. But my encouragement to you is that you will not spend your entire college career just going from one church to another each Sunday depending on where your friends are going. That's, that's not how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to invest yourself in the life of a body here, to, to, to find one and plant in and let that be kind of your family, your home away from home. So find a church and invest in it. Here's how you do that. Here's a simple way, okay? Sunday morning plus one thing, okay? So it, it kind of goes without saying. The expectation is that you will be there on Sunday morning for a church, that you will make that a priority to be there. But then the way to get involved is Sunday morning plus one thing. So Sunday morning plus a Sunday school class, Sunday morning plus serving on a greeting team. Sunday morning plus getting involved in a small group or in the college ministry. Sunday morning plus one thing. Take a few weeks if you've got to, freshmen, to look around. That's fine. But in the next month, pick one and then go Sunday morning plus one thing. Second practical thing is this. Reach out to an adult back home. That person maybe that you mentioned to your person to your left or right. Reach out to one adult who has been an influence in your life. Maybe for you that person is here and that's totally okay. Reach out to them. Send them a text, okay? Reach out and connect with them this week and ask them this. Will you pray for me this semester? Will you send me a text once every week or every other week and ask me how I'm doing? Have I found a church yet? Am I getting involved? Have I found community? Am I doing those things? And then three, can we meet up when I come home? All right, will you pray for me? Will you send me texts and check in on me? Can we meet up when I get home? And when you get home, you're going to meet up with them and you're going to sit down and you're just going to ask them, hey, I've never asked you this, but tell me, what was your faith like when you were my age? What are the things you did that you regret? And if you, could, if you could give me advice to stay away from that, what would it be? What are the things you did you're glad you did and, and you could encourage me towards that? What are some things that I should be thinking about and planning towards? So f- reach out to one person back home and then the second part I would say is this. Look for, a, a, strive to connect with adults here. Okay? Through your table group, through serving in the church, try to place yourself in a spot where you can get to know grown-ups where you can get to know older men and women uh, who, can, who can help you in your faith. Okay, One adult back home, one adult here, searching for one adult here. Here's the last one. Number three, find some means of regular service before October. So, find one place, one way, that you can engage in serving others, in serving a church or serving a ministry by October if possible. So you got a month. I'll give you to the end of October. Tell you what, I'll give you to the end of October. Okay, find a place where you can begin to serve, uh, helping with the ministry, reaching out to people in need, whatever that may be. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you three options right now. Actually, we are in need of three things at this ministry, and I mentioned one of them last week. We are in need of people who will help us come early, six forty-five each Thursday, and help us set up out here. Because of the pandemic, we have to do things differently. And in order for this to work, we need everything to be set up out and working out here. We need your help. And so if you're looking for a way to serve, come serve with us here. Here's another one. We need a small team of people that could serve on like a monthly rotation, four or five, who could help us clean this building in here. We don't use this building as much as normally, but it still gets used for game nights and movie nights. And there are Bible studies and small groups that happen throughout here during the week. And so we need someone who can come in, a team, and you could be like once a month come in and help us clean that and keep that in order. If that's you, maybe you enjoy doing that kind of thing. We could use your help. Here's the third thing. Uh, We are trying to put together a team that will run one entire service of Kids Church at Sunnybrook. I believe it's once a month. Once a month or once every six weeks, Randy? Once a month. Once a month. Uh, once a month, we want to have a team here that will work with Kids Church and we will put on a kids service so that the adults that normally volunteer there can have a break and can go in and worship in, in the main building with everybody else and we get a chance to kind of do little small groups with some of the kids that are there. This one's a tough one, okay? Okay. My kids are in that group, all right? So it's not going to be easy. I'm just telling you. But I'm like Jesus. I'm up front with you about the difficulty of this thing, all right? It's going to be hard, okay? Um, You'll also get to hang out with Randy's kids, which are sweeter than mine. So it's going to be all right, okay? Um, But... Um, we're looking for a group that do that. If you've got a heart for that, if you like working with kids, we would love to have you. And we'll have an opportunity. Rachel will tell you how you can kind of let us know and sign up for those things. But we would love to have you do those things. So involve yourself in a church in the next few weeks. Uh, Reach out to an adult back home and see if you can connect with one over the next couple of... This might take a little bit longer, but over the next year or two, connect with an adult here, with older believers here. And then three, find a way to start serving in the next month or two. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a couple minutes like we've been doing at the end of each, and I want you to just take a minute, and I want you to look at that. I'd love for you to, to move towards all of those things, but right now I just want you to pick one. I want you to take a minute or two, and I want you to pray about this, and you, I want you to decide and, and circle or write down one that you go, this week I'm doing. Um, what is it that I need to do to be able to better engage in the body of Christ so that It can invest in me so that I can serve the world, so that I can serve others around me. And maybe, again, maybe some of you, you're not even at that place yet. You're still kind of wrestling with the Jesus thing. And I want to give you a chance to think through what it means to give your life to a man who would place such high demands, such high costs on us, but also such incredible joy and peace. What that might look like. Why would I want to do that and to pray through that for a little bit. So we'll give you a minute or two And then we'll wrap up.